Hi and welcome to Data Hack Radio. This is Kunal, your host for the show. Let me start by sharing a few updates from our end. We recently hosted our flagship conference, Data Hack Summit 2018 in Bangalore, and it was a roaring success. I would like to thank all our community members for the same. We had more than 1000 people attending the summit over a period of 4 days where we conducted more than 60 speaker sessions, 15 hack sessions and 9 workshops as part of Data Hack Summit 2018. We will be releasing the videos from Data Hack Summit shortly on our trainings portal. So make sure you look at them. Also, this is going to be the last episode of Data Hack Radio in 2018. So wish you all a very merry christmas and happy new year. We had a phenomenal year at Analytics Vidya and we hope you also had the same. We launched several new initiatives like our training portal Data Hack Radio and scaled new heights on our blog our hackathons and Data Hack Summit. Thank you all for making 2018 special and we hope to continue to bring this knowledge for our community in 2019 in this episode we will talk to dr mandar pande dr mandar is currently a professor at symbiosis international university and has more than 25 years of experience in industry and academia he has worked with companies like wipro and tech mahindra and was one of the speakers at data hack summit 2018 he is currently researching in the area of quantum computing and stay tuned for an enriching discussion on developments in future of quantum computing can you tell us a bit about yourself your background and you know uh, so you have had industry experience and, and now you are teaching so tell us a bit about your journey and then uh, when did your interest in quantum computing and quantum machine learning start i'm a phd in physics in theoretical physics mm-hmm. and uh, that was way back in uh, 94 mm-hmm. um so i did my phd from the hyderabad central university Mm-hmm. and uh, that was in a theoretical uh, quantum optics or nonlinear optics mm-hmm. and um, after which i was a faculty at uh, bits pilani mm-hmm. uh, for 4 years where i was in the triple e group electrical and electronics engineering group i was teaching uh, all the basic physics and digital electronics communication theory electromagnetic theory things of that sort mm-hmm. um and that was the time you know 1998 when uh, the it was sort of looking up yeah uh, i was also sort of looking at different avenues in which i could you know get myself exposed to mm-hmm. so that's when uh, i took a plunge into it and mm-hmm. luckily they were looking for people who were good in um, in physics for example for uh, some of the centers of excellences mm-hmm. so in 98 i joined tech mahindra mm-hmm. and uh, tech mahindra i was in the in one of the centers of excellence called the center for modeling and simulation Interesting. And eventually, after that, then I was doing a lot of modeling for communication networks, you know, core networks as well as IP networks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually, I moved into something called the System Performance Engineering Group, mm-hmm. where I was handling the, uh, I was like trying to look at the performance of IT systems at the network, the servers, at as well as the application layers. Sure. Mm-hmm. Then I moved to Wipro, and I was handling the globally. I was handling the performance engineering practice for Wipro itself. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is when i after which after 20 years you know so i was mm-hmm. in for 12 13 years in wipro for around 7 8 years and then finally i moved back into academics because that is my first love mm-hmm. so that is essentially a journey and um, coming to the quantum uh, computing and quantum machine learning so yeah. the last phase of my uh, career in in wipro i was obviously getting exposed to a lot of digital way of working and uh, mm-hmm. and design data science obviously was a very critical element of that mm-hmm. um because obviously everything is data and yeah. uh, every analysis that you need to do involves a lot of data mm-hmm. but even performance has got a lot of data that you can analyze yeah. so i obviously had some exposure though i wouldn't say that it was uh, um you know it was anything great mm-hmm. but um so that is what helped me out in uh, when i actually started off in, uh, in my academics back in symbiosis mm-hmm. 
So because of my PhD in quantum optics, mm-hmm. naturally I could move into quantum computing because that is a mm-hmm. industry, it's a it's a science or it's a field which is at an intersection of quantum physics, information science as well as um, information theory. So yeah, so that is where uh, and my industry industry experience also helped me quite a lot in actually grasping basics of uh, quantum computing. Mm-hmm. Machine learning automatically followed because one of the largest applications of quantum computing in the future is expected to be quantum machine learning. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So with your background in theoretical physics, so uh, how relevant did you find it uh, in industries? What, what are some of the you know concepts which you learned in, in your uh, academic side kind of uh, uh, were applied in your career or throughout the career. So, what are some of the things? Because uh, I've, I've, you know, seen uh, some of the best people in data science come from physics background. So, right. uh, so I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So you see, um, a PhD in physics gives you, especially theoretical physics, mm-hmm. gives you a, a fantastic uh, foundation of mathematics. Okay, then because especially if you're doing theoretical physics, then you yeah. have to understand math because finally Correct. at a PhD level, then physics is all math. So. Correct. So you have differential equations, you have eigenvalue problem that you solve, you have partial differential equations. Mm-hmm. Say what do you want to, you have mm-hmm. uh, integral transforms, all kinds of things. Everything is all, uh, you know, all, all maths. Yeah. That is one thing. So from a technical standpoint, uh, the foundation of very strong maths helps you quite a lot. Mm-hmm. The second thing that helps you quite a lot is uh, the fact that you are able to understand or trying to or try to tackle a problem from different standpoints, different mm-hmm. perspectives. Mm-hmm. So the ability to think differently, the ability to be able to you know uh, stay with a problem for a long time, you know that is what is important. The ability right. to, you know, after some time, what happens is people tend to give up. Correct. Oh God, I, this is too difficult a problem for me. I will not solve. But for me, it was I had to solve it because that was the problem anyway. Mm-hmm. So. So it helps you to build, uh, you know, build patience, mm-hmm. helps you mm-hmm. to build a lateral thinking ability. Mm-hmm. And it obviously helps you with a lot of understanding of maths and physics. Correct. And that gives you an ability to sort of tackle. My belief is it tackles, it helps you to tackle any kind of problem mm-hmm. in any industry. Yeah, great. So uh, coming on to, you know, your uh, area of research right now, quantum computing. So, uh, you know, given that a lot of audience for the podcast would be from data science background, and they may or may not necessarily know what is quantum computing and and how is it different and, uh, you know, the kind of uh, possibilities it opens up. So can you tell us uh, briefly about, you know, what is quantum computing and for a person who may not know this, this background sure sure certainly so you know uh, i'll start with really the basics mm-hmm. so you know all computers today including the laptops for example or notebooks you can think or even the smartphone that we currently hold in our hands mm-hmm. they can be termed as uh, something called classical computers yeah and um, so all of these use uh, you know they obviously most of them use some mental chips or one of those chips or mm-hmm. they are actually based on called integrated circuits Mm-hmm. Which are constructed from basic digital elements, which are called as transistors. Correct. Okay, now transistors are they act as electronic switches mm-hmm. and operate on obviously an electric current or a voltage. Yeah. So they operate in two states called as state zero and state one. Correct. Mm-hmm. So when an example could be if uh, a switch is open and no electricity is flowing, you can call it as a you can represent it as a bit zero. Yeah. And if it's closed and electricity flows through the circuit, it represents bit one. Correct. So the point is that everything of whatever computing we do today, including whatever data analysis or whatever data you capture, or even the data for that matter, mm-hmm. is done by essentially using these two bits. So it's a digital right. state, state zero and state one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So any algorithm that you write, finally, you might be, you might be writing it in a high level language, but finally at a machine level, it gets converted yep. into bits, zeros and ones. Correct. That, I'm sure everybody knows that. Right. Now let me come to the quantum computing part. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, at the most fundamental level, very similar to fundamental level in, uh, in classical computers called as transistors, mm-hmm. in quantum computing, the most fundamental level, the physical principles that govern nature, they follow the laws of quantum mechanics. Yeah. Okay. Now, quantum mechanics is, uh, if people are not aware, so it's a theory in physics which describes nature at the smallest scales of the atoms and molecules. Correct. Okay. So, we are going down to a very, very low level. Mm-hmm. And what is happening currently is that 
there's something called Moore's law, which the one of the Intel's founder right. sort of predicted, and it says that the number of transistors per square uh, unit area will double every uh, every 18 months. Correct. So this was way back in 65 that he mentioned, mm-hmm. and now we are in 2018, so more than 40, 60 years probably. Right. And what is happening now is that we have reached that limit, more or less reached the limit where uh, the we can't go beyond a particular size. Between the space two transistors can't go below a particular limit. Mm-hmm. Because if you do, then the quantum effects start playing a critical role. Mm-hmm. And then information starts becoming very fuzzy, it starts becoming incorrect and all that. Mm-hmm. So obviously, we need to look at a different paradigm mm-hmm. of trying to do computing. So that is where uh, quantum computing comes into play. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. at these atomic and molecular level, particles behave in very, very different ways, very unlike what they have been seen in the normal world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So quantum computers are based on the principles of quantum mechanics. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there are two, three things which are uh, very important to understand. One is that unlike classical computers, which are based on bits, mm-hmm. quantum computers are based on something called qubits or quantum bits. Okay. Mm-hmm. And these quantum bits operate on two key principles of quantum mechanics, which is called a superposition and mm-hmm. entanglement. Mm-hmm. So the basis for a qubit is something called a state zero and a state one. And the classical equivalent of that is this bit zero and bit one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the superposition principle is based on these qubits. In, mm-hmm. And what, it's, what it means is that a qubit can exist in, in, an, uh, in, a, in a superposition or a combination of a qubit zero state and a qubit one state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now starts the fun. The point is that in a classical computer, a system can exist in only in state zero or state one, whereas mm-hmm. in a quantum computer, it can exist in both the states, or, or it can exist in a multitude of any of, any of these combinations mm-hmm. on the basis of a probability distribution. Mm-hmm. So we have something called a wave function, and a wave function is alpha into zero, that state zero plus beta into state one, mm-hmm. where alpha and beta are probability distributions, and sure. they can state take values from zero to one. Both of them. Mm-hmm. So if alpha is zero, then you get state one. If alpha is one and beta is zero, you get state zero. Right. So that is the basis for a superposition. Mm-hmm. Now, along with superposition, quantum computers also take advantage of another very counterintuitive feature of quantum mechanics called as entanglement. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when individual qubits, which is what I defined just now, they mm-hmm. become entangled. Mm-hmm. So what happens is you cannot describe them individually. You have to. They have to be described as a complete system on the whole. So you can have a combination of 1, 2, 3, 4, 10, 20, whatever number of qubits. And when all of them become entangled, mm-hmm. they all of them behave as a single system. Okay. okay. Very so interesting. Mm-hmm. When you talk about an 8-bit computer or 8-bit, uh, what do you call, uh, CPU, mm-hmm. what it means is one of the bits can be 0, the other can be 1. Right. In a similar way, when you talk about an 8-qubit or a 10-qubit computer, quantum mm-hmm. computer, you have 10 qubits which are working in tandem to each other. Yeah. But you cannot define their states individually. Absolutely. That is the basis. You cannot define the states individually. You have to define them as a, as a complete system. So that is one part. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, the second, so, so, what, so what is great about quantum computers? I know people might ask you, so, so what? Mm-hmm. The point is that in a classical computer, in spite of all the GPUs that are there in, in available nowadays, or in spite of whatever parallel computing you do, Mm-hmm. Any instruction that you actually give to a classical computer needs to be um, solved sequentially okay? right. or processed sequentially. Mm-hmm. Now, even if you have a very high-powered CPU, let's say a 2.4 gig kind of a, a power of a, of a CPU, let's say we have that. Mm-hmm. Even if that is the case, every instruction that you give to a classical computer needs to be solved sequentially. Right. The distinction between a classical and a quantum computer comes over here. Now, because of these qubits and these quantum states, uh, what happens in a quantum computer is that nature has given us a, as a, as a facility mm-hmm. in which all the all the different instructions that you give to a to a quantum computer through, let's say, an algorithm, mm-hmm. can be solved at the same time. That is, all instructions are resolved at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, a parallelism is automatically given to you by nature mm-hmm. in a quantum computer, very unlike what you would do in a classical computer, which is sequential. Interesting. Interesting. So that is where the distinction lies between a classical and a quantum computer. And that is where something called a quantum speed up comes into play. That is the ability of quantum algorithms mm-hmm. in 
people to outperform the best known classical algorithms while solving certain types of problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And where did is this parallelism come from? So, uh, is it because you know the entire uh, qubit system is acting as a single system and not individual streets, so you don't need to break that? Is that the reason for uh, you know that natural parallelism coming? Yes, yes, absolutely. You got it right, Kunal. <laughs> uh, so, the fact that entanglement of all the qubits. Mm-hmm happens and all of them interact simultaneously to for a particular result mm-hmm. that is where the parallelism comes into play okay. so, so what happens is that uh, let's assume that you have a two qubit computer okay mm-hmm. this is the hypothetical case so two two qubit quantum computer so mm-hmm. the number of states that will be existing in a two qubit quantum computer is zero 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 one one zero one so yeah. that is the power of two mm-hmm. uh, so what it means is that if you have four instructions all the four will be immediately resolved because of a quantum, because of the parallelism. Right. Let's now make it three. Mm-hmm. So the number of states or number of parallel states which are available are two to the power of three. Yeah, eight. So that becomes eight. Mm-hmm. So that is double of four now. Right. So if you make it four qubit, it becomes sixteen. Correct. So what happens is that if you keep on increasing the size of the number of qubits mm-hmm. or number of qubit computers that you can have, mm-hmm. the number of parallel states that you can get actually doubles every time you add one qubit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a 2 to the power of 10 qubit computer will have 1024 uh, parallel states in which it can interact. Right, right. Okay, so that's how one is the parallelism that comes into play. And the second is that addition of one qubit doubles the computing power essentially of a particular quantum computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, a very interesting fact for you and for everybody in the who, who will be listening to this podcast mm-hmm. is that a 300 qubit computer, quantum computer, mm-hmm. will have the number of bits on that will be more than the known atoms in the universe. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> I mean, you can imagine the kind of quantum, kind of power that is there in a, in a quantum computer in principle, yeah. no matter way. I mean, mm-hmm. it might look, sound very fancy and great, mm-hmm. but practically, so let me bring people down to earth again. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so while it may look great from an idealistic standpoint, but mm-hmm. in, in the, as we speak, today is mm-hmm. 18 December 2018. Mm-hmm. As we speak, um, the fact of the matter is that um, a quantum computer is still very fragile. The qubits mm-hmm. are very fragile in the sense that they are unable to retain the state for more than um, an hour or 90 or 100 milliseconds. Okay. Yeah, 100, yeah, 100 microseconds, 90, 90 milliseconds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and that is, I'm talking about the IBM Q20 qubit quantum computer. Right. Uh, what uh, they are gaming. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, so to be able to build a very robust kind of a quantum computer in which we can have confidence in the results that are being generated, mm-hmm. we need to build in a lot of resilience in the quantum computer. We need to build in a lot of fault tolerance in the computer. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of errors which keep, uh, errors which keep creeping in when you mm-hmm. try to do a computation using a quantum computer currently at this point. Sure, sure. Dear listener, do you know? that more than 80% of the data available in this world is in unstructured format. And most of this data would be images and text. So you need skills like computer vision and natural language processing if you need to be future ready as a data scientist. We have the perfect holiday season gift for you in form of our popular courses NLP using Python and computer vision using deep learning. Both the courses are available on trainings.analyticswithya.com. We are currently running an amazing new year offer for you. Enroll now and get an incredible 40% off on these courses. And uh, how expensive is, uh, uh, you know, this technology versus, let's say, uh, because the nearest uh, alternate right now is, let's say, a GPU or a CPU. So, uh, you know, for a, for a similar power, uh, you know, a, uh, what cost difference would be or for a similar cost, uh, how much more or less power can I, can I access? So, you see, at this point in time, uh, only the biggies in the world are able uh, to build this right. IBM, I spoke to about IBM. So Correct. IBM has built a 50 qubit uh, quantum computer. 
which mm-hmm. is based on a very different kind of technology and superconducting technology they, they, they base it on mm-hmm. google along with nasa and um, a company called the dwave yeah they are using a very different kind of technology called quantum annealing mm-hmm. to build another quantum computer it's called the 2048 qubit that's what they claim to mm-hmm. have so these are still in the realm of research mm-hmm. and uh, you know mm-hmm. only people with very deep pockets can really afford it very similar to what was the situation maybe 70 years back when the first classical computers and you know, started coming in mhm mhm but huge you know it was a massive monolith kind of a system right. mm-hmm. so we are in that era at this point in time correct correct if you have to let's say put a estimate you know given what we have seen in past and obviously technology kind of evolving much faster compared to previous days what is the time frame you see uh, these computers becoming let's say mainstream as as pcs became at at one point uh, so so what kind of time time frame are we looking at uh, purely a perspective i mean and yeah. uh, it's uh, i'm sure it's very difficult to put a exact number but so you see i have been doing a lot of research on uh, all of these areas so mm-hmm. i can only talk about what everybody is talking about mm-hmm. it certainly take a fair amount of time till then it will be you know, in the realm, realm of um no the biggies only and mm-hmm. in the realm of research and so at least 15 20 years is what probably people expect but you never know uh, these things kunal right right uh, sometimes if you have a breakthrough in some technology then i think mm-hmm. the things sort of speeds up very rapidly correct so, correct 20 years i guess mm-hmm. but in the meantime there's a lot of lot of work being done in terms of quantum machine learning algorithms for example they're developing all the wherewithal required to you know just wait for the actual physical system so that you can actually test them out interesting interesting and this could be a very naive question but uh, how difficult is it to let's say so if i have uh, i mean normally people are talking about 10 qubit or 20 qubit systems today uh, uh, you know so if you have to make it let's say 40 or 100 so is that is that a difficult thing to achieve or the difficulty is in you know retaining those states uh, as you mentioned it is both actually you know mm-hmm. so i think uh, as the number of qubits increase mm-hmm. obviously uh, being such fragile and delicate systems mm-hmm. uh, instability increases okay. so that is one thing and second is as the uh, as the size or the number of qubits increase mm-hmm. the technology required to, to sort of uh, uh, to sort of uh, you know manage this number of qubits also increases i don't know whether it's increases exponentially but certainly adding a qubit brings in an additional overhead of technology to be brought, uh, to be uh, taken care of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sure sure and uh, so uh, you know uh, for a moment let's uh, if we assume that you know let's say 5 or 10 or 15 whatever that time frame is and we are able to find a solution to to some of these problems so what are the kind of possibilities these open sub because now we'll have you know ability to do lot more compute which which we probably never thought was possible in past so so what kind of possibilities uh, open up uh, uh, yeah so so i'll tell you uh, i think i think it is not only uh, the fact that you have additional compute power or you have a something called a, you know in in a, in a quantum computing parlance it's called as quantum advantage mm-hmm. or a quantum supremacy mm-hmm. uh, what can what we can gain is a completely different perspective or the ability to solve very different kind of problems which are currently not feasible with the classical computers correct okay mm-hmm. so one of the main reasons why uh, you know people moved to trying to build quantum computers is because uh, they wanted to prove that quantum mechanics actually works mm-hmm. that actually it, it's not only a theory mm-hmm. because it's so it is so counterintuitive right some of the principles as i told you yeah. now Yeah, I mean, it's a extremely counterintuitive kind of a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. They wanted to have something on the quantum computing perspective to prove experimentally that this actually works. So that is only one part of the whole story. Mm-hmm. Now the second part is that let's take quantum machine learning for example. Yeah. The current classical data that you get from systems, mm-hmm. okay, let's say it could be weather data, it could be medical data, it could be experiment of, it could be a data from a clinical experiment that you conduct. Mm-hmm. or it could be whatever it is whatever data i mean you have all ways which you can generate data now yeah they are they are still called as classical data mm-hmm. so these are from systems which are reasonably large these are classical in nature that is right. have a very large size yeah now what happens is all of these systems are finally built out of at- atoms and molecules mm-hmm. now 
what will happen is there's some concept called as quantum data mm-hmm. now quantum data is the data that you get from atoms and molecules and lasers and you know superconducting qubits and things of that sort this mm-hmm. is at a very micro level okay and the ability to describe those uh, those systems states yeah mm-hmm. that's where you have this quantum data now the point is that current classical systems will not be able to derive trends or patterns mm-hmm. from that kind of quantum data because there are the classical machine learning algorithms are only suitable to tackle classical data mm-hmm. but if you are able to get a perspective of what the trends or what the patterns what the stochastic patterns are from the quantum data that mm-hmm. will i'm sure provide a very different perspective or a different insights mm-hmm. to the kind of uh, machine learning or the kind of ai that you will probably do in the future mm-hmm. so that is one that is the second thing so mm-hmm. one is quantum mechanics mm-hmm. the second is quantum machine learning itself you yeah. bring a very different perspective to you know you have this predictive analytics or prescriptive analytics or mm-hmm. whatever uh, you know we have in, in, the, in the industry today yeah that will bring in will bring will bring out a very different kind of a flavor when mm-hmm. you use quantum machine learning algorithms working on a quantum computer that is the second thing third is a lot of quantum chemistry that you can do you can do a lot of uh, you know creation of new molecules simulation of new molecules for example mm-hmm. get potential new drugs without actually having to go through physical uh, clinical tests yeah uh, then you can talk about the genome project where mm-hmm. you know the amount of data that you can create from a human genome mm-hmm. it is in more than petabytes Correct. so to be able to decipher a particular genome uh, in the current system i think it takes about a week or so probably for yeah. the biggest mm-hmm. supercomputers right and probably happen in the jiffy in the in the future right so i'm just giving you some examples industrial mm-hmm. applications for example financial analysis you can do a lot of financial analysis using different pattern recognitions mm-hmm. using mm-hmm. Uh, computers sure sure and uh, uh, there are some uh, challenges which people have uh, you know also highlighted so for example uh, i remember it uh, reading it somewhere that uh, the minute we kind of uh, uh, step into quantum computing realm some of the encryption algorithms which are out there today might not be able to hold because uh, you you can you know decrypt them much faster with with quantum compute patients is that correct and then i mean how do you see that as a as a yes that is uh, largely correct mm-hmm. um so the point is that uh, yeah that is one thing which you got is a very nice question you brought in uh, mm-hmm. so the point is that quantum computing actually got visibility because mm-hmm. peter shore mm-hmm. uh, a scientist in massachusetts is a mathematician mm-hmm. and um, he he essentially came up with an algorithm mm-hmm. which is called as an algorithm in which you can factor find out the factors of a particular prime number mm-hmm. so factorization of prime numbers is a is a difficult um, you know uh, is a difficult question or a difficult, okay. difficult problem for a classical computer to to solve yeah okay so all our uh, encryption and decryption and uh, our our cryptography is currently mm-hmm. based on uh, prime factors deciphering uh, you know large sized prime numbers so trying to factorization of large prime numbers yeah okay everything is based on this our security is basically based on this mm-hmm. now when peter shore wrote his algorithm uh, so what he what he found out or mm-hmm. he proved that you could use quantum computers mm-hmm. to essentially do a prime, a prime factor factorization a prime factorization mm-hmm. in you know very short time mm-hmm. so if that is possible to do and it is indeed possible because the algorithm mm-hmm. actually proves that Mm-hmm. then all our current encryption and decryption schemes mm-hmm. are at risk mm-hmm. okay now in the case of a blockchain for example and blockchain is one of the most uh, you know that's where you use a lot of security mm-hmm. uh, as long as you're using the hashtag i just very recently read it yeah. as long as you using using your hashtags mm-hmm. apparently you're safe that's what apparently <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean i you i'm not i'm <laughs> <laughs> no i understand yeah so they say that so so in principle i think uh, the fact that all over financial transaction that you do in my if i do an online transaction using my my bank mm-hmm. and if i want to transfer money to my wife or whatever and it can if it if it can be hacked then right. are in a very serious situation at this point in time mm-hmm. interesting but i think nothing to be worried about for the next 10 years i, I hope because, uh, <laughs> yeah. because uh, uh, 
because I think we are still safe because the quantum computers still are, are, haven't <laughs> reached that level of democratization. I understand, I understand. In fact, uh, yeah, in all likelihood, uh, I think, uh, so this is like the other extreme uh, in which we are probably thinking. So in all likelihood, you know, uh, there would be regulations and, and people yes. would also come up with new encryption algorithms, right. uh, which would... Tackle the quantum challenge. Correct. <laughs> so, uh, but very interesting. So, in terms of uh, you know data science specifically, so uh, what are the kind of uh, you know algorithms which, uh, which so are there let's say new uh, types of algorithms which will come up given that uh, we can do computations very differently. I am presuming there would be obviously uh, uh, acceleration which will happen in the current algorithms so so can you can you describe the impact of quantum computing specifically on let's say machine learning algorithms how you see that yeah so so i was telling you know so, so mm-hmm. i look at it in this way so let me let me answer that question in two parts so one mm-hmm. is uh, you know for all your classical machine learning or uh, deep learning algorithms mm-hmm. quantum equivalent now mm-hmm. okay so like for example if we talk about a perceptron Mm-hmm. You have an equivalent uh, quantum perceptron. If mm-hmm. you talk about disk square fitting, you have an equivalent uh, disk square fitting. Classical mm-hmm. Boltzmann, you have a quantum Boltzmann machine. Quantum mm-hmm. PCB is there. Mm-hmm. Quantum support vector machine is there. Reinforcement learning is there. Mm-hmm. So for all of them, you have equivalent quantum machine learning algorithms, mm-hmm. which obviously will help you uh, in in terms of some some kind of a quantum speed up. Yeah. Okay. Now there's another factor that I think uh, all of us should keep in mind. And uh, that is the the following mm-hmm. that I look at I look at um, you know the quantum part of machine learning mm-hmm. in four ways okay and I call them as CC mm-hmm. EQ QC and QQ mm-hmm. so let me elaborate that sure. so CC essentially means running a classical machine learning algorithm on a classical computer mm-hmm. CQ means uh, running a classical um, machine learning algorithm on a quantum computer. Quantum computer. Sure. And QC obviously means running a quantum machine learning algorithm on a classical computer. Which is Which possibly was, not possible. <laughs> yeah. So so that is, we are still in, if it's a QQ, we are still in the realm of possibilities. You know, mm-hmm. we still haven't sort of realized it very effectively. Mm-hmm. So the point is that uh, if you talk about the CC part, that is mm-hmm. classical machine algorithms and using classical computers, we are where we are currently. Right. With all that. Now, if you use a quantum um, a computer to solve a classical machine learning algorithm mm-hmm. or a hybrid, so these CC, CQ and QC are essentially hybrids. Correct. So what you can do is the parts which are difficult to be able to solve by using classical classical uh, methods, mm-hmm. use a quantum uh, machine learning method and try to speed up the overall effect of trying to get a solution to it quickly. Right. So that is one possibility. Mm-hmm. The second possibility is if you use quantum machine learning algorithms on a classic computer, which is also being tried out now, mm-hmm. you can probably get a speed up in uh, in your uh, in your end result. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, the best thing obviously would be that you use a quantum machine algorithm on a quantum computer because that's what it's meant for. Because right. uh, a quantum machine algorithm is built mm-hmm. using the architecture of a quantum computer, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is obviously very different from what you have in a classical computer. Sure, sure. Uh, and are there uh, some problems where uh, you know classic computer is uh, better than quantum computers? Uh, and and uh, so, so what are some of those examples where where quantum computing would not probably give us? Uh, so, so you see, the way it works is you know currently uh, we are nowhere as of today. I mean, sorry to reiterate it, but we are nowhere near uh, what are the classical computers can achieve at this point. I mean, at the mm-hmm. biggest supercomputer. But there are some problems. Mm-hmm. Um, like for example, let's take an optimization problem. Mm-hmm. Let's take a problem of uh, a person going to from India to USA, mm-hmm. and USA has to visit let's say twenty cities. Sure. And uh, he would like to understand what is my most optimized route mm-hmm. and the cheapest ticket. And let's say he brings some twenty factors. Say mm-hmm. I would like to get my uh, my costing effectively so that all of these factors are optimized. Sure. That is a problem which a classical computer will take a huge amount of time to resolve. Correct. Okay, so optimization problems, mm-hmm. decision problems, some of them, not all of them, some decision mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about large classes of problems. So these are problems right. which, while current classical computers are solving, mm-hmm. 
they are not as effective or they are not as optimized yeah. as quantum computers would be in the future sure so that is what is my uh, view of things mm-hmm. and uh, i think you know finally specifically again coming back to quantum machine learning per se mm-hmm. i think there are some class of problems um i wouldn't say class of problems i would say the insights that you can gain mm-hmm. from having a combination of a classical data plus a quantum data mm-hmm. and the insights that you can get probably will be very different from what we are currently getting in the in in today's world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. interesting interesting so uh, you know uh, kind of uh, just digesting uh, the information uh, which you have uh, provided so uh, Uh, so while uh, you know we are kind of let's say at least 5 to 10 years away before these computers kind of uh, start becoming mainstream but if someone wanted to kind of uh, you know come up to speed do a bit more of reading in these areas what are some of the resources or areas or you know uh, let's say uh, communities or blogs or uh, which which people can read so what are some of the resources uh, which you can recommend people if they are interested in reading more about quantum computing i think if you if you type in quantum computing on you <laughs> in google <laughs> a lot of articles coming there right But, you know digesting them takes a bit of a time for somebody who is not exposed at all mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i think what would be required for that person to do you know, would be two things you know you can probably mm-hmm. go into Uh, any of your online courses which are being offered, like EDX offers a lot of courses, and then Coursera also, I think, is offering. Mm-hmm. Like, like, take it, take it, take my example. So, I last year I actually started on the quantum computing bit, try to get more detailed understanding. So, I went to EDX. Mm-hmm. Uh, some absolutely fabulous courses on EDX on uh, quantum computing by the masters themselves. In fact, Peter Shore is one of the faculty there, mm-hmm. Peter who actually spoke about the prime factorization, right? Which okay. Yeah, yeah. Peter is one of the faculty, and uh, and some of the top faculties in mit are uh, are there mm-hmm. apart from that you have a lot of courses being offered by a lot of other universities in mm-hmm. on it itself mm-hmm. which are more palatable and more you know sort of uh, what do you call it? for people who let, would like to get a first level or a first cut understanding but mm-hmm. they also you have courses of that sort as well on on edx and coursera and other online platforms mm-hmm. that is one part mm-hmm. the second is i think the person will need to have a deep interest in quantum physics right, right. second is that person would need to and all the and, and for the data scientists i think it's good news mm-hmm. that you have most of the maths required uh, to digest most of the aspects of quantum computing that is for example you will need to understand matrix operations right. or matrix algebra essentially linear algebra is what you require mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. apart from that you will also need to understand eigenvalue problems which i'm sure most of us do especially yeah. in deep learning you use uh, eigenvalue problems or you can talk about optimization or Uh, find out the minima that is those kind of problems you do that anyway mm-hmm. least cost and then the the other things that you would need to understand is something called vector spaces so finite mm-hmm. dimensional and infinite dimensional vector spaces something called mm-hmm. tensor products right and um, then i think uh, you would also need to have an understanding of something called integral transforms which basically fast forward i'm sure everybody does knows fft mm-hmm. those something called wavelet transforms correct so mm-hmm. if you are if you before you actually get into a uh, let's say an intermediate level course on mm-hmm. quantum if you are having this overall view of these two things in mm-hmm. physics in physics superposition uh, then entanglement and uh, then what do you call it, measurements and things of that sort mm-hmm. and match these things you go with this kind of tools with your uh, uh, with your understanding then mm-hmm. i think it's slightly more easier for you to grasp and understand and digest the content of it's still not really so very straightforward and simple for Dear listener, according to the latest industry estimates, more than two hundred thousand data science jobs are vacant across the globe. Yes, more than two hundred thousand. And as always, Analytics Vidya is here to help you to get started in your journey to become a data scientist. You can enroll in our most popular course, Introduction to Data Science. which is currently at a 40% off at an unmissable price head over to trainings.analyticsvidya.com and let the fun begin mm-hmm. 
in terms of the practitioners uh, themselves so uh, do they use a completely new language which is uh, built on uh, built to kind of uh, you know uh, exploit these new functionalities or or i mean so so how do uh, people work on this right now are there some yeah. specific- so again if people uh, go to the internet and i especially what i would recommend for people and not that i'm a I'm, I'm i'm not a fan of ibm or any any of the companies mm-hmm. uh, it's just that uh, ibm uh, offers you uh, a quantum computer of 4 qubits and 14 qubits mm-hmm. on the cloud mm-hmm. and uh, you can do a lot of very simple operations using that uh, mm-hmm. again you will need to understand something called the quantum qubits and sorry uh, you need to understand the quantum gates and other things in that Right. but uh, ibm site it's called as ibm q experience mm-hmm. so if people can type ibm q experience you will get you will be given to you will go to that site mm-hmm. and on that site you have to register yourself and once you once you register mm-hmm. on a daily basis you'll be getting you'll get you get some 15 credits worth of usage very similar oh, to the earlier main that we had mm-hmm. so we used to book a time and then we could book a slot and we used to get some 45 minutes of time whatever it is right. very we are in that realm again realm again <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so you can go there and sort of fiddle around play around with basic stuff but it mm-hmm. there's also a language called as mm-hmm. qis kit mm-hmm. okay. so qis and i think quantum information science kit kit mm-hmm. is the same as kit mm-hmm. it is based on python okay and create your own programs mm-hmm. okay so once you once i once you have the basics clear about what are quantum gates what is a qubit what do you mean by superposition what is the meaning of entanglement you can actually test them out on your quantum computers which are offered to you on the cloud. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's fantastic. I use it. I mean, I've been using it for the last one year. I'm in fact starting mm-hmm. to. But the only thing is because it's the number of qubits is less. So the kind mm-hmm. of operations you do is obviously very simple. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, you can actually go and test out whether Peter Shor's prime factorization works. So let's mm-hmm. say I would like to find out what is the prime factor of, let's say, 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, so while I know the answer is 3 and 5, mm-hmm. you can actually use, you can write a program Yeah. On, on top of python which is on on the qis kit it's a high level programming language mm-hmm. and uh, you know try to test it out and it's fun it's real yeah. fun interesting interesting and uh, uh, what kind of uh, power do you think will uh, let's say need to uh, uh, you know have some of the let's say uh relatively simple but mainstream problems uh, running on quantum computer so is it like uh, uh, minimum 20 20 to 30 qubits is what would be required you know okay okay interesting interesting uh, so so i mean uh, in that sense four qubits is actually not bad for for playing it out uh, and then, oh yeah absolutely yeah. and you can do it. in fact there's even an app you know ibm has come with an app it's mm-hmm. called as what the app is i think it's called as uh, ibm q itself Mm-hmm. and i use the app you know you can play a lot of games on that oh, and it helps you to understand what is the meaning of this uh, quantum gates it's actually okay. an app based on the quantum gates mm-hmm. so you can download it app and essentially start playing with it oh wow uh, interesting interesting and so, uh, this is on android or uh, I, i think it's available at, i mean i got an iphone so it's i so downloaded on iphone but I'm okay sure okay it's available on android Sure, sure. No, I'll look into it definitely. This this sounds really exciting. Yeah, it's just like a game. You don't even need to know. There's something called an X gate, Y gate, Z gate, and then you have something called a Hadamard gate and all that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You don't need to understand it immediately. Okay. You just play it as a simple game. And then okay. once you go into the, into the actual quantum computer, no? that's when mm-hmm. you get a feel of what it actually means. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. No, that uh, that definitely helps. So, so I'll definitely check out some of these uh, resources. Yeah, so and just to add to that, no, just one yeah. more thing because I don't want to be so partial to IBM. So mm-hmm. IBM also has got a quantum simulator, by the way. I mean, it's a classical equivalent of a quantum computer. That's one. Mm-hmm. Then you have Microsoft, who has got its own simulator. Then you have Rigetti, R I G E T T I. So they have their own simulators. Then you have even uh, D Wave. they have their, they are offering their system on the cloud i guess mm-hmm. so there are a number of companies are coming up okay you have some quantum startups which are there so rigetti is a startup it's one of the best startups in the world by the way now mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like i called chat rigetti rigetti who is launched this uh, system mm-hmm. on a computer it's got funding from, from all the top companies in the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. very well so he also has his own language i forget the name of the language but he has got his own language which, which again is based on python interesting interesting no i can so available kind of for anything 
yeah uh, obviously you know the resources available i am also you know still kind of uh, amazed by the possibilities that might open up uh, uh, for example you know in case of nlp today we try and uh, you know uh, uh, for example to uh, quantify satire or uh, you know humor we try and put it in a zero one situation Uh, which uh, which uh, is not necessarily the case uh, even when we converse so uh, you know having some of these things uh, uh, can can uh, make us lot better in understanding uh, these phenomena absolutely i think uh, we are probably just about to you know finish up on the Uh, on the time which we had but uh, in just projecting uh, for next 4 to 5 years what are some of the you know research developments which you see happening uh, in the domain and and you know how do you see next 4 5 years playing out so um, i will i will tell you which are the domains that you know uh, we will get into in the next 4 to 5 years mm-hmm. so one of them is anyway quantum machine learning yeah they will they will be building a lot of algorithms on um, trying to improve on the classical algorithm that is one mm-hmm. so come up with very different uh, algorithms which can which only a quantum computer can actually resolve mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that is one thing then uh, the other thing is uh, this something called nisc era so nisc era is we are in the situation currently mm-hmm. where uh, you know people are going to build uh, quantum computers for more more than 20 30 40 50 50 qubits mm-hmm. and totally the quantum error uh, is still a very la- very big yeah. challenge for the present mm-hmm. people will be working on, on trying to build in, in a lot of quantum error correction into their uh, quantum computers mm-hmm. plus also try to build in uh, quantum computers which will be ready for the industry which are called fault tolerant you know mm-hmm. computers so they will be working on a lot on actual physical devices mm-hmm. Uh, using uh, a lot of um, uh, what do you call fault tolerant algorithms or systems in that. So essentially, mm-hmm. what they do is, you know, a very simple example is you have physical qubit, yeah. and they build a logical qubit which is three times the. So they they build three copies of the of a physical qubit, and they call that as a logical qubit. Got so it. Similarly, they build in. So that is how you can build in fault tolerance in the sense that if if one doesn't work, then the other will work, and all that. So that. Uh, the number of qubits actually exponentially increases unfortunately mm-hmm. but that's mm-hmm. the only way to you know ensure that your error correction actually goes down quite a lot so sure. 10 to the power -3 that is that every mm-hmm. thousand instructions you will have one fault yeah, yeah. So, and in case of classical computers currently i think it's 10 to the power -11 or 10 minus 10 right. mm-hmm. whatever it's a very big number Sure, sure. The other things that people are going to work on are simple quantum simulation. You know, essentially mm-hmm. that's what was uh, the need. So mm-hmm. the potential long-term applications also include pharmaceuticals. You can talk in the application power transmission, mm-hmm. financial analysis. You can talk about. Yeah. And uh, the other thing could be even scaling the computers, which I also told you. Then mm-hmm. Privacy or security is another area. Right. Very strongly working on. As you rightly said, Kunal. Mm-hmm. Uh, they obviously. you know we don't have to worry very much if a classical rsa algorithm fails to work then i think mm-hmm. the quantum equivalent of that as well so to ensure that <laughs> <laughs> yeah now no. the most interesting thing which i completely forgot about is the quantum internet okay interesting okay. Mm. so in as we speak in in uh, i think it is in the delft university in, mm-hmm. in netherlands four cities of netherlands i think they are trying to build a quantum internet mm-hmm. with an inbuilt security uh, cordon along with the internet itself so oh. dlft so the left university yeah yeah and yeah yeah so uh, they are working on uh, actually physically building a quantum internet network wow. so that is going to be absolutely fantastic yeah that that uh, i mean that can obviously change the entire paradigm uh, absolutely that is that there's the next uh, next wave of uh, you know paradigm shift that we going to be <laughs> great great and uh, one of the things which you mentioned but uh, we didn't discuss uh, a lot was the data storage uh, uh, specifically so uh, you know uh, do you see that also kind of changing and developing in the next 4 uh, 5 years so i mean uh, as you mentioned right now the logical systems can't kind of store the quantum states in the way they need to for the computers to kind of uh, uh you know take advantage on so so is that something which also right. is a active area of research 
Yeah, I am not very much aware of that aspect, but there is something called Q ramps which are uh, which are being built. There's mm-hmm. ramps. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because you see the the kind of data that you get from quantum systems, mm-hmm. the format is completely different from what you have in the current classical systems. Correct. So you need to have appropriate storage devices built, which can mm-hmm. understand and store those kind of quantum data in those systems. Mm-hmm. So. That also is a current research area, and yeah. a very hot area, in fact, mm-hmm. because you know everything has to go hand in hand. You know, otherwise, you know, you will obviously have a great computer system without uh, an ability to store. Right. Uh, the other reason for that is also because uh, the expectation uh, is that the size of the quantum data is going to be phenomenally large, mm-hmm. um, and that is another reason why there's a big rush to you know work on that area. Yes, as well. Interesting. But I'm not really very much about that, that part so much. No, it, uh, not not a problem. And uh, uh, as I said, you know, uh, uh, it has been a you know eye-opening kind of discussion for me personally. And even this, you know, one-hour discussion, I personally learned a lot of things which uh, uh, which I wasn't aware of. So, so it's it's great to kind of have this, and kind uh, the more we can kind of spread out and uh, provide meaningful information. Even you know, even if it is let's say a simple experiment uh, which shows people. On on a four qubit machine, how things are different. I think that's a, that's a very good takeaway at the end of a course if people can kind of uh, do that. So, so uh, in fact, uh, in fact, I am I'm you know one, there are two passions which I one of them is quantum computing anyway. <laughs> the other one is classical music, but yes. And uh, second, in fact, in in the in the in the conference that we you know just, you just hosted, yeah, I actually wanted to show some of that uh, four qubit you know operations and all that. But I think because mm-hmm. I him just i just had to drop that <laughs> that would have been fantastic and if i was able to show that people right. actually see a quantum computer at work and actually some simple operations but that happening correct have correct so i'll, I'll uh, you know resume that discussion uh, uh post the podcast anyways so and then thanks thanks a lot for uh, your time and uh, you know I, i'm sure people no, will uh, learn a lot from uh, from this and uh, uh, I think we are, uh, so while we are some time away, but, uh, you know, uh, there will be a complete new kind of generation which uh, comes with Q at- attached to whatever we know today. <laughs> yeah, so, so really exciting. Uh, thanks a lot, uh, Kunal. I think uh, I truly appreciate your uh, coming forward and, you know, really requesting me to participate in this. It's a, it's a real pleasure for me. Sure. And I look forward to having more interactions with you and analytics with you in the future. Sure, sure. Thanks. Thanks, Dr. Mandar. Thank you.